Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. (laughs) I think I got the right direction. I never remember whether I say that's the past or the future, but we're here. Thank you. That's the voice of Ryan Treasure, formerly with Voice America, who did my role, and I appreciate that, Ryan. Always love hearing your voice and hope you're well. Let's get started here. I have four buzz quotes. Uh, Three of them are from the previous version. We did the show, similar topic a couple months ago, but I added a new one. This is going to be a kicker. So number one, I have a quote from McKinsey. And it is, women in technical roles are less likely than men to win promotions early in their careers. That's what we're talking about. And many, guess what, are leaving the field. Only 86 women are promoted to manager for every 100 men at the same level. This is from McKinsey's Women in the Workplace 2021 report. I like to validate. And that was co-authored with LeanIn.org. Isn't that interesting? But in technical fields, only 52 women for every 100 men get promoted. That's about 50% not good. And they say diversity is crucial to help de-bias the technologies in our modern life. Hey, we have a perspective. It might be different from other genders. I'm going to leave that very wide open there. So we need women in tech. I'm an early woman in tech. And I don't think anybody tried to dissuade me. It was like, what? You're a girl. You don't use a slide rule. You're smart. You can write a program on a weekend. It works on Monday. Hallelujah. I think we'll pay you. That's how easy it was. <laughs> Nobody cared. Well, they kind of did. I was from New York and they didn't trust me because I was in Oregon. There, here's the, number two from Code motion.com. The label, I love this quote, the label women in tech seems redundant. How many women would refer to themselves as, hello, I'm a female engineer. Anybody on this panel, would you actually say that? Or how would somebody say, hello, I'm the company's female chief technical, technical officer, chief tech officer, chief anything officer, information officer. Do you really say that? No, I'm the officer. However, there still exists a disparity in the pay scales and ability to climb the career ladder between women and men in the tech sector. That's what we're talking about. I have another quote from content.techgig.com. At current advancement rates, this is sad, it will take 100 years for women in technical and non-technical roles to reach parity with men at the C-level. That's that suite with the chairs that have your name on the back. This is from Anita Borg Institute. The report was advancing women technologists into positions of leadership. And now here's the quote I added today, and I love this one. L. Frank Baum, the author of The Wizard of Oz, 1939 movie we're going to be talking about in that in a minute. He wrote a novel called The Lost Princess of Oz. And in it, the wizard says, Ozma, O-Z-M-A, is a fairy, and so is Glinda. We're going to be talking about Glinda, aren't we, Laurie, in a minute? Not Laurie, I, uh, Lisa. So no power can kill or destroy them, but you girls are all mortals, and so are Button Bright and I. So we must watch out for ourselves. I thought that was a beautiful quote. So wave when I call your name, Lisa D'Alessandro de Christopher. Welcome back. Lisa, thrilled to have you here. Debbie Scott. Hello, Debbie. Welcome back. Kylie Woods, there you are. And we have Lori Rosano. Thank you, ladies, for joining me. We're talking about the future of women in early tech careers. Should I stay? Or should I go? I think that's a country song. I'm Bonnie D in the house here. We're live streaming on LinkedIn and Facebook. If you can't tell I'm happy to be here, then something's wrong with you. So let's go around the table. Now, ladies, I have a new challenge for you. 
couple of months ago, weeks ago, you all introduced yourselves with a full bio. I think a lot of people saw the show. They know, most people know who you are by now. But I'm going to say across the board, there are probably about 12.3 people who don't remember you in the whole world. Maybe 14.3 to be fair. Okay. So talk to those 14.3 people. Lisa, we're going to start with you. Bring them up to date. A little bit about who you are, what you do. What's your passion for our topic? Lisa, welcome back. Sure, Bonnie. Thank you so much for having us here and having round two. We had so much fun the last time that I know we're all excited to be back again. Um, and especially with the topic that we're going to be talking about today. Um, so for the 3.2 people in the audience who don't know me, my name is Lisa D'Alessandro De Christopher. I have the privilege of running the North American Industry Advisory Practice at SAP. Uh, basically, it's a team of management consultants who with deep domain expertise, and we have uh, the mission to help our customers solve their business problems with technology. Uh, really excited about the topic. I'm just coming back from our industry conference here in San Diego, and we had a Women in Utilities event. So I've got a lot of new content that I can share. And while we're making great progress, I think we still have some room to grow. So all good and looking forward to the call today. Thank you very much. Well, welcome. And thank you. I understand you're in San Diego doing this hotel, and I appreciate your fortitude in attempting that. So thank you very much, Lisa. Let's go around the table. Next, let's talk to Debbie Scott. Debbie, I'm so happy to have you back. Would you please reintroduce yourself all right. Lisa said there are only 3.2 people who don't remember any of you. I had 13 we'll go, or 14. We'll go down to three. Debbie, talk to the three people. Okay. Thanks so much, Bonnie. And again, um, you know, thank you for having us back. I did have so much fun the first time we did this. Um, so Debbie Scott. So I'm a VP in the SAP practice at Capgemini. Um, I have over 30 years of industry experience um, with 24 of those years being involved uh, with SAP. Um, through a variety of lenses. So um, I started out uh, in the semiconductor industry for 16 years, 13 of those years, I was a CIO. Um, then went on to go work for SAP for about 10 years in a variety of different uh, roles. Um, and then short time at IBM in the SAP practice. And now here I am at Capgemini in our SAP practice. Um, obviously, you know, having been in technology my entire career, this is a, a huge topic that I'm very, very passionate about, especially, you know, getting women in, but keeping women in technology. So thanks again for having us back. My pleasure. Thank you very much. And let's go to Kylie Woods. Kylie, welcome back. Happy to see you, Chic Geek. I didn't put that on your name on Zoom, but you go by Chic Geek, and I appreciate that at so many levels, Kylie. Kylie, talk to those 3.2. You know what? They've been talking to the three. Why don't you talk to the point two? Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Bonnie, for having me today. Um, so I'm Kylie Woods, founder and executive director of Chic Geek. We're a nonprofit committed to building gender diversity in technology. And I'm specifically really passionate about solving the retention problem because intermediate women are twice as likely as their male counterparts to leave technology, which is why we're talking about it today. But, you know, Chic Geek is designing programs, services to keep those women engaged in their technology careers. And we think that's going to have a really bold and beneficial impact on our future. Thanks, Bonnie. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Bravo to you on having a company dedicated to this, to our topic. I think very, very impressive. Thank you, Kylie. And Lori Rosano, I'm delighted to have you back on our panel. I'm really thrilled the four of you accepted the invitation to come back so soon because there's continuity in this. And, and I did want to pivot to from women in tech in general to how do we get them in and keep them us 
them. Okay, Lori Rosano, you could talk to the same point two people Kylie was talking to. Okay, go ahead. Welcome, Lori. Wonderful. Thanks, Bonnie. So I am really excited to be back together for part two. Uh, I'm Lori Rosano. I'm the COO at SAP for our West Market Unit. Prior to joining SAP, I spent about 14 years at IBM and held various leadership positions across our services and software organization. So for today, I am so excited about part two. And because I think it's really important that we continue to underline the progress that we're making in some facets in terms of creating and supporting and enhancing. Um, But it's all about creating additional opportunities that we see for women in tech. And especially when we talk about early professionals and young talent. So I think it's really critical that we have that entry point and provide a lot of support and guidance because this is where we need them to thrive. It really, truly has a meaningful impact on our industry and the organizations. Thank you very much. And as we're talking about early women in tech, it goes back to education. It goes back to culture. It goes back to family. It goes back to goals. It goes back to to get them into tech. They have to say, I can be in tech. I'm prepared to be in tech. I want to be in tech. I have a passion. It has to come from way before that first job. And I remember when I was, I I have a bachelor's degree in psychology, and I went on to graduate school at a community college in Oregon because I was a new divorcee and I didn't have a job and I never worked and I needed something and I I picked a brochure out of a stack my parents sent me and it said, go be a, a computer program. I said, what? What, what? I won't tell you what year, but at least you can all imagine. And I went there and I tried to sign up for the class and they said, it's full. But registrar took me aside and she said, I hope ladies, if I'm retelling a story, I'm not boring you. But she said, tell you what, come every day and stand or sit in the back of the class in two weeks. People will discover this is not for them and the class will be almost empty and we will enroll you. I said, seriously? She said, just show up. Nobody will say a word. Two weeks later, the room was half empty. They enrolled me. I went on for two years, aced every class, every test, and they hired me right out of that two-year program to run a statewide community college information system. I was up against a man. That was that was the, the diversity then. It was a man of color, and it was me, a single, a divorced woman, and I actually got the job. But what was interesting was in my business statistics class, The men didn't like me because I aced all the homework assignments and all the tests and I didn't use a slide rule. I figured it out in my head and using a pencil. And they didn't like me because I I got the math done and they, they had to use. Anyway, just very interesting memories for me. So ladies, thank you for listening. Let's go around the table. It's time for the quotes. Lisa, you have picked a quote from Glinda the Good Witch of the North, played by the actress Billy Burke. And the movie, of course, The Wizard of Oz, 1939 fantasy film based on L. Frank Baum's novel, The Wizard of Oz. And uh, let's see, there are all kinds of people have played the the voice of it, the uh, voice of this. Uh, What I want to say was, um, let me read this background here. Glinda performs the functions of not only the novels, Good Witch of the North and Good Witch of the South, but also the Queen of Field Mice. Did you know that, Lisa? She performs the Queen of Field Mice, who welcomes Dorothy, sends her off to see the wizard. I try not to sing, sorry. And orchestrates her rescue from the deadly poppy field and reveals the secret to going home. So here's the quote from Glinda, the Good Witch of the North, Lisa has selected. You had the power all along, my dear. Lisa, couldn't be a better quote for today. Tell us how you found it and, oh, unpack it for me. Go ahead. Okay, so didn't know about the mice, but I guess it's just an added bonus and superpower that the Good Witch had. Um, For me, when I was reflecting on what I would select as a quote for today, I really wanted to focus on empowering women and not being 
victimized, but really using it as a platform to show strength of where we can lead. So for me to say we've had the power all along means that we just need to do more. We have it within ourselves to break through some of these uh, challenges. And I know the Wizard of Oz is awesome. That scene is so epic. If you remember, every one of her cohorts had gotten their brain or their diploma and they were going home and they got their courage, except for Glinda, which was so fitting because she was the only woman in the group. And even though she had done all the work to get everybody to Oz, to orchestrate, to make sure they made it through the poppy, survived the the good, the, the, the bad witch, she was the one that wasn't getting her promotion or her deserved reward. And I felt like that is such a symbolic thing of what we're seeing with women in technology today. Despite all the hard work, sometimes you don't get the outcome. But I love the message there that it is truly your own empowerment that's going to make you achieve the goals that you want. And I really want to encourage women to explore that and not be afraid to exert on that. So to me, having the power and knowing that you have the power, that you are the sole person responsibility for your you know, success and you know, moving forward in the world, I thought was a really important quote and a great way to start off the day. Thank you very much. I had a trainer years ago, no, no longer around, and she used to say to me, who's driving your bus, Bonnie? Who's driving your bus? Interesting. Who's in charge? We have the power. Take the wheel. Do it. Right, Lisa? Okay. Great quote. Thank you. Lovely. And thank you for the scene. Debbie Scott has picked a quote from Michael Scott. I'm going to say any relation. I'm sorry. I had, I'm had. i in that kind of a mood today. Played by Steve Carell, of course, talking to Dwight Kurt Schrute, the third, played by Rain Wilson. Of course, I never got over his first name, Rain, with two ends. The Office, season two, the fight episode. You quoted the fight last time, too, I think, Debbie. You picked I a did. different scene. November 1st, 2005, do the math, 17 years ago, almost almost to the day. It The series aired on NBC TV from March 24th, 2005 to March, May 16th, 2013. Only 201 episodes in nine seasons. And let's see now. The fight was known as Karate or the Dojo. Several people in the cast had martial arts experience, and the title is referring to, yes, there was a a scene of a fight. Let's go on and let me read the quote. It's long, and I need you to tell me how it interprets (laughs) to our topic. It says, I'm friends with everybody in this office. We're all best friends. I love everybody here. But sometimes your best friends start coming into work late and start having dentist appointments that aren't dentist appointments, and that's when it's nice to let them know that you could beat them up. (laughs) I don't do a good Steve Carell impersonation, but that's a... Hell of a great quote. Debbie, what does it have to do with our topic, please? So, um, so again, I did choose Michael Scott like I did last time. And for those that, that didn't remember from last time, although there is no relation, I do have my youngest son is named Michael Scott. He's been Michael Scott before the show, Michael Scott. Um, but yeah, so that interesting connection there. Um, so humor is a big part of my personality, both, you know, personally and professionally. Um, and I think that humor is something that women, especially in the technology field, should really embrace. And I think, you know, especially from a leadership perspective, um, you know, I think it can really, you know, break the tension in a situation. I think sometimes it's really good to remind people like, you know, nobody's going to die here, right? You know, we're just doing some technology stuff. Um, And so, you know, it's so, again, it's it's just a way to say that, you know, you can gain that confidence, you can gain your power. And um, so, of course, with Michael Scott, the reason, you know, that I love to watch that show and I love to quote it is because he's obviously the epitome of everything a leader shouldn't be, violates every HR rule in the book, you know, of certain quotes I wouldn't even quote on this podcast that he says on the show. Um, and so, um, again, I get a lot of humor when I watch that show. And, you know, also ironically, because there are some things that I actually – 
recognize that, you know, I kind of get a glimpse into, hey, I've seen that in real life, but I'm going to leave that part right there. Thank you very much. There's a quotable moment you just had, Debbie. You said, nobody's going to die here. We're just doing tech stuff. Kyla, you heard heard that. Uh, Debbie, that was, we got to put that in quotes on Twitter or Instagram or somewhere. (laughs) Could could you please take it out of the soundtrack when I send you the files later? Okay, nobody's going to die here. We're just doing tech stuff. That's got to be, that may be the quote of the day, and you're all brilliant, but that Debbie, you, you really nailed it there. I don't even think you intended to say it that way. Kylie Woods, let's look at your quote. This is beautiful. Rachel Platten, Fight Song 2015. Rachel Ashley Platten, young lady, born in 1981. American singer, songwriter, author, two albums she released independently, and Columbia Records founder and signed her. Fight Song peaked at number six on the Billboard Hot 100 in the U.S., topped the charts in the U.K., made top ten charts all over the world. She even won a daytime Emmy for performing it live on Good Morning America. It's only so Sold 6 million copies in the U.S. Just, you know, barely touched the surface there. And it earned a six-time platinum certification. And here we go. Here's the quote. Like a small boat on the ocean, sending big waves into motion. Like how a single word can make a heart open. I might only have one match, but I can make an explosion. Kylie, I got chills and I did my best not to cry, but you really pushed my limits there. So go ahead. Tell us how you picked this quote. Thank you. This one is on my pump up playlist in the moments when I'm feeling low. And, you know, Debbie talked about humor, how that is kind of what gets her through those tough moments. And for me, it's about impact. How am I helping the people around me, the community around me? And I love this quote because it reminds me that I can be small. I don't need to be big. I don't need to be something else that I'm not. I can be just the way I am and still have an impact. And this is especially relevant in the moments where we feel like we freeze or we, we want to run, but it reminds us to fight. It's that fight or flight moment. And we need to fight sometimes when our backs are up against the wall. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, well, as, as Debbie said, nobody's going to die here. It's just tech stuff. I, I'm sorry, Debbie. I just can't get over that. Nice segue. Thank you very much, Kylie. Appreciate the quote. Lori, it's time for your quote. Is this quote from another iconic female character in movie history and also in novels and books, Alice in Wonderland, 1951 British American animated fantasy comedy adventure film. That's the one I'm citing here, voiced by Catherine Beaumont. Alice in Wonderland, or simply Alice, is a Disney media franchise starting in 1951 with a theatrical release of this animated film. It's an adaptation, of course, of the books by Lewis Carroll, the 1865, whoa, novels Alice Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and the 1871 sequel, Through the Looking Glass, which featured the character Alice. What's interesting is these characters come from so long ago, don't they, Laurie? We're talking about Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. We're talking about Glinda. We're talking about Alice. Can you imagine writing a book today, a character-based book, and 100 years from now, after we're all gone, having people quoting it on what will be the future of podcasts and radio shows and saying, yeah, I remember that somebody created that in 2022. What? That was the last century. Seriously? Okay, so here's the quote you've picked, and this is lovely. If you don't know where you want to go, then it doesn't matter which path you take. I think that's a conundrum. Lori, unpack for me. All right. So we all know that I'm a big fan of animals and clearly cartoons from our last show and time together. So this comes from Cheshire the Cat. Um, And I really love this quote for two reasons. The first is um, I feel that Cheshire the Cat is really, truly acting as a mentor for Alice. 
So he never directly answers her questions. He prompts her to deepen her own thoughts. He provides her with just enough of support in arm's reach, but he doesn't take control. He doesn't micromanage and he doesn't fix things for her. So I love that because when I think about our leadership roles and the influence and privilege that we have, wherever we leave our fingerprints, personally and professionally, it is a really powerful facilitative role that we can play with others. And I know for myself, especially with um, with, with my niece, who I adore, um, who's starting to encounter and pursue, you know, new opportunities within college and, and external soon, you just want to jump in and fix it. But it's been it's yeah. been really enlightening for me to take a back seat instead of saying, you know what you should do versus just saying, hey, from my own experience, and then you've got to you've got to let them go. The second part is in terms of uh, being deliberate as best as we can in terms of our final destination. And it's not easy. And I know all of us here together, in addition to many others, we get redirected at times. So it's impossible to say, I know exactly where I want to be five years from now. In fact, I refuse to answer that question, but I'm really intentional about the steps that I'm taking and the opportunities that I pursue because I do have a destination in mind. And I think that's important when you're entering, you know, obviously even a new profession or career, because a lot of people will come to you and it could be, you know, at one point you think, gosh, that's flattering. They may say, hey, Rosano, I want you to take this new assignment. You know what you could do for us? you're really great at this. You could go do that. You start getting a little bit more selfish. And that's where you build this quiet confidence of being able to say, I really am flattered that you've acknowledged I have those skills and those strengths. But what I would like to do is apply them in this direction. So you don't keep getting stuck in this, in this endless loophole. So that's why, you know, I love that, you know, when you, when you extract that, that quote, it is, you could, I mean, you could go a lot further into it, but that's why it's really powerful to me. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Um, yeah, need to wear. Learning to say thank you, but no thank you. Isn't that part of what a lot of us didn't learn early on? Because mm-hmm. how many times have we all been flattered by, oh, we decided you're the one. Oh, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. It's such a good point, Laurie. It's happened to me many times. And I think I always <coughs> said yes. <laughs> I think I did, which did open other opportunities for me, but that's not the point. The point is having the sense of direction. Thank you very much, ladies. Wonderful quotes. Now let's go to our predictions. Lisa, you're up first, and let's start with your prediction number one. I love the way you gave your predictions captions this time, Lisa. I appreciate that. So I'm going with number one. She said, I could just read the caption. The caption is, we will need to rewrite the script. But let me just read a little more. Reducing gender bias. Bias will require looking at the full span of entry points into your organization, from job descriptions to keeping the door open for women who step back from their careers to return to work. I'm going to stop there, Lisa, and let you unpack this. And ladies, I'm not going to do a agree or disagree around the table. However, if you remember last time, you got five fingers on whichever your dominant hand is. You've got four polite fingers. Raise one of those polite fingers to me if you want to make a comment about Lisa's prediction. Otherwise, I will just go through and I'm going to put a prediction I've selected for each of you in the chat while Lisa is talking, but pay attention to her. So Lisa, go ahead and unpack this for me, please. Yes. And I really, um, again, reflecting on our last show and talking specifically about all the women who have been disproportionately uh, displaced during covid as a result of the pandemic and feeling like we have a huge opportunity to bring people back, but we're gonna have to rewrite the script because the script that existed prior for women in tech to excel, for women in tech to be considered for positions, isn't gonna work now, right? Women have been out of the workforce. There's a gap in their work experience. If we want people to come back, we have to be thoughtful about how do we bring them back? What's the reentry program? 
How do we help get them past the last two years of training? They haven't been part of the digital transformation. And so we need to make sure that they have the skills. And so looking at what do we do, and it really goes to Lori's point too, being, you know, feeling empowered to say yes or no, and take a path because it's going towards a destination that you have in your career. I look and I say, you know, we as women have to think about how do we reset the goals and the expectations for people returning to work? How do we advocate on their behalf? Maybe mm-hmm. they're coming back part-time. Maybe they're coming back and they're doing you know, a, a portion of time in the office and a portion of time abroad. Um, maybe we need to look at the different types of opportunities and think about, you know, we want that individual and recalibrate the whole talent quotient because I truly feel like we've kind of pigeonholed ourselves. You know, coming off of the utility conference this past week in San Diego with, you know, a, a plethora of bright women. And you know, over 25 years ago, we started a women in utilities event. And I remember the first time we did this, I had to really look hard to find another executive at SAP that was a woman that could join us. And, you know, at that time, we used to take a poll, how many women were in a CEO position or a CFO position or even CIO. It seemed like most of the positions that we saw in the utilities industry, the energy industry, were in the customer service field because that's how the script was written. Women should be working with customers in the call center. They shouldn't be out in the field or doing things in the distribution transformation. So. I think that the the opportunity existed was to rewrite the script. We look at some of the job descriptions today that exclude women because of weight requirements or other things. We say these are written 34 years ago. Are they still applicable? So I think this is one of the things that we need to first acknowledge and recognize, help people understand there is still an unconscious bias towards women in technology and just women in general in some of the leadership positions and really be active and conscious on rewriting that script so that we're not excluding not only women, just bringing back diversity as well. I think the other thing I see is um, when women take a chance and if we fail, the perception is always different, right? You know, oh, Lori tried that new role and it didn't work out. We probably shouldn't have given it to her. Whereas if John or Michael had tried that and failed, it would be, oh, well, you know, we didn't support him. We didn't give him the right you know, enablement. So he's still a good guy. We're going to put him in another position. And and it's just these unconscious biases that we see. And Debbie, sometimes we use humor to overcome them, but we really need to call them out and own them, acknowledge them, and then use that as a springboard to rewrite the script for women in tech. Anybody have any comments up to Lisa? Otherwise, I'm going to move on. Everybody good? Okay. Debbie Scott, I put it in the chat for you. I'm looking at prediction number two. You say, I think we will continue to see companies measure their leaders with KPIs that include talent acquisition and retention and gender diversity to try to create accountability and action in a meaningful way. Debbie, talk to us. Yeah, so I think, you know, to just kind of pivot off off the point that Lisa made about, you know, kind of calling things out and addressing them, you know, really bringing it to the forefront. Um, You know, basically, I think, you know, what what we know is that if you measure something, you can drive accountability. If you measure something and compensate based on that, you can drive accountability. And so, you know, we talked about it last time, you know, we're obviously in a huge talent war right now, which is especially... uh, present in the technology industry. Um, But for years and years, you know, as far back as, you know, you know, what my days at SAP, there was always this emphasis on diversity and inclusion and making sure that we create a more diverse workforce and, you know, training on, you know, why it's important to have diversity in your teams and, you know, how that's really beneficial to a company. But I've never seen it measured before um, until recently. 
And I think that we'll continue to see that, you know, to measure it, drive accountability. So rather than it being sort of an emotional discussion about it or a gut feeling discussion, it's a data driven conversation. Very interesting. When I read that, when I chose it for you, Debbie, I was I was saying to myself, really, seriously, that that's a KPI. Very interesting. Uh, how is that being received in companies that are doing that? Do you have? Is there any any data on people are saying seriously? I, I remember years ago when I worked for a particular bank, a trust company bank on, in New York. I was given the KPI of increasing the stock price by a certain number of cents or dollars per share. It was so out of alignment with what my role was as the marketing person. It had nothing to do with me, and I knew they were setting me up for failure. They were yeah. setting me up for abject, I know you can't do it. We know you can't do it. You know you can't do it. And I was thinking, what the blank just happened here? How dare they? I don't remember the outcome. I know I left and went somewhere else soon <laughs> after. But I, I have to tell you, it was shocking that I was being saddled with something that the board of directors couldn't handle, that the CEO couldn't handle. Nobody could handle it. But they said, oh, you're the marketing person. You do all the brochures and all the set up all the meetings and all that. You go ahead and change our stock price. And it was like, really? Are you? Yeah. 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 So I'll just say that obviously, you know, what you just described, you know, that's an unworkable situation. But in this case, I think um, I think it's necessary. I think, you know, certainly, you know, Cat Gemini, you know, people are, are our business. Right. And, you know, the getting the top talent, retaining the top talent, developing the top talent, um, making sure that we do have diverse teams because the studies show that diverse teams perform better. So, um, you know, I, I do think I mean, I certainly embrace it as a leader because it's nothing new to me it's but um, I had not seen any resistance to it I've seen people say that you know we really need to make this a focus especially again in the, in the talent war that we find ourselves in thank you very much let me go to Kylie prediction number four you say companies with clear compensation levels and advancement tracks will have the upper hand in building diverse teams attracting and retaining women. I like this. Kylie, is this uh, wishful thinking? How far in the future would we expect that this might be something that's the norm? I hate that word. Kylie, talk to me. Thanks, Bonnie. I think that these types of activities are really tangible. They are things that we can start doing now uh, to make changes. And the reason that clarity around career advancement is really important is that there's a lot of research that shows that women are leaving their careers because there's no path to advancement. And they don't understand, what do I need to do, show, exhibit, um, have accomplished in order to get that next promotion? And so when companies can be really clear, especially at the early promotion stage, it's a great way to retain women in technology. And you know, to Lisa's earlier point, she talked about changing the script. And so these types of structural changes are things that companies, institutions can put in place to support their women and diverse team members. And this is important because we also need to be changing systemic things. It's not just about putting the onus on women to say, you need to do better in this way, you need to change, you need to improve here. It's also up to the companies and the institutions we're working for to meet us halfway and so this is a very tangible way to do that. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm Go ahead, Debbie. I have a comment, but I want to hear you first. Go ahead, Debbie. Yeah, so I just, I just wanted to reflect on that, Kylie, because I was on your website, and um, I noted the stat that 
you know, you said 25% of computing roles are held by women, which is obviously a low number. But moreover, it's, you know, the, the keeping them there part. 56% leave the company mid-career. And that's what I think is, is super staggering. But I've seen it. I've absolutely seen it myself. So just wanted to point that out. Thank you. We appreciate the statistic. It's, it's, scary, <laughs> it's scary and it's sad, right? Kylie, anything you want to say back to Debbie? No, I think that, you know, to Debbie's earlier point too about measuring things, it's really important, but it's a, it's a fine line to walk. There's a lot of fear to put tangible metrics and accountability to things like diversity. So we also need to be talking about how do we reduce that fear and create environments where it's not about a stick, you have a consequence, and if something isn't met, but it's an invitation, come and be a part of something better, and we are all in this together. I like that. Together is important. That's why we're here talking about this together. I have a distant memory from, I worked for a company that had three letters that half of most of you have worked for at some point and some still are. And I remember when they were shopping me around trying to find a new team because I had started Game Changers Radio and they were trying to figure out where I could do it full time instead of under the radar 50% while I was being paid to do something else. It was a crazy time. And people were shopping my resume and shopping what I did around the company. And it got back to me who was looking for headcount to bring me into their team. And I remember, I don't know if this was a compliment, Lisa, I'm going to talk to you. I don't know if this is a compliment or not. But somebody said, we'd love to have a rockin' grandma on our team. And I thought, I don't know whether that was diversity. I don't know whether that was uh, chauvinism. I don't know whether that was OMG, what the blank, what what have I done to create that? Yeah, we want a rockin' grandma on our team because I had a very young granddaughter at the time. I think she was very young anyway. <laughs> no, she wasn't that young. And I thought, that's really cool. And I took it as a fun kind of a, we want you, but I thought that was an odd way to identify me who had established this radio franchise under the radar, literally, with millions of listeners around the world, a whole new interpretation of thought leadership in media. And I was the rock and granny they wanted on their team. So does anybody, I'm not targeting anybody here on the panel. Does anybody have, a, what would all of you have said? Anybody want to tackle that one? Just smile, right? Ah, Lisa, you want to say something? I don't. <laughs> but, but you are a rocking grandma. That's what we choose to be. I think you have to choose to be what you need to be. I keep telling my grandchildren I'm a rocking grandma. Okay, let's go on. I'm sorry for that diversion there. I didn't mean to put you on the spot, Lisa. I just was watching your eyes. And, yeah, she's got something on her mind. Lori Rosano, <laughs> let's go to prediction number four. I'm going to save myself here. You say, with technology and automation dominating workplaces, yes, Lori, that's our reality. The need to foster the development of, everybody wait for it, emotional intelligence, communication, and interpersonal skills will continue to grow. This is an area women have historically succeeded in. Wow, Laurie, talk to us. Yeah, so this is this is important. So as an industry, all of us saw, you know, post-pandemic, you know, all the all the different innovations and chaos and technology and all that that occurred from it. So from an organizational perspective, even though it was disruptive, it sparked a lot of goodness too. It got it got a lot of folks on the other side of us to maybe more rapidly, you know, elicit and move forward on some change that maybe they were hesitant on. So you look at all that that we infuse into the organization, but when we look at our people, and this is really important when you look at the way that different women um, 
go about their jobs, of which how they how they get there, how they lead, how they interact, how they communicate. It is very different. And what I always say is it, it is a very powerful tool that sometimes gets missed when you're looking at different roles and positions that women are competing for. So when we look at it is, you know, what I've been challenging to and being more part of is how clear are we when we're trying to solve for what we're looking for, right? So in terms of, are we looking at just a, a very specific or discrete set of skills and experiences? Because the reality is, is at times, and um, the, other, the other ladies here mentioned it too, is at times we get a little bit too grounded or rooted on a job description. And candidly, that job description, right, may be written by somebody a while ago that needs to be refreshed. Perhaps it was a job description by somebody that maybe has never even done the job, but they wrote the job description. So when I look at this, they say, gosh, we have this powerful and I have enormous hopes for what the community can do with women, you know, across the board in organizations, because if we can allow people to continue to enhance and grow in terms of their overall style, the way that they approach their teams and infuse that, it is a competitive advantage. And then also to Debbie's point and others is we know that people that are thriving and that have the permission to be themselves, it's the stuff that's intangible. You're not going to find it always concrete and data and metrics and quarter close, but you're going to see that organizations just start to outperform others. And that is just 100% rooted on the fact that they've invested in this, but they actually acknowledge that there is a different way that a woman will go about you know, her order of business on a daily basis than maybe her male colleagues. Kylie, talk. You know, I love this idea, Lori, um, around the importance of emotional intelligence. We're seeing a lot of companies talking about what skills are needed. I want to come back to the idea of structures and how important it is to also create, you know, promotion recognition around emotional intelligence so we can actually tie uh, career advancement to those soft skills. And I think that is a gap that we're still experiencing that while companies recognize the importance, it's not always tied to performance. Um, I want to give an example of this concept of glue work. So this was um, coming from a presentation from Tanya Riley, a senior principal engineer at Squarespace. And she talks about the glue work that can happen with women on technical teams. So glue work is the non-promotable work that goes into making a team function really well. It could be um, helping somebody when they're stuck. It could be documenting processes so that, you know, things are passed on to the next team really smoothly. But if, if, your, if your performance is based on the number of lines of code you're writing, that glue work is critical, but it is not promotable. And so that emotional intelligence is clearly being exhibited in the case of glue work, but it is not always reflected in promotion. Thank you. Lori, anything bad? Anybody want to comment back on either Lori or Kylie? Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, I'll just, I'll tie out on this point. And Lisa, Please. you sprinkled it in your comment, which I think was important is so when you look at different women leaders, despite their, their role or tenure in an organization, but you're spot on in terms of if there's some, um, some takeaway that they may have failed in that role, or they didn't hit the mark, or they didn't meet expectations. With women, you'll hear very openly sometimes like, man, we just pushed her too far, or she wasn't quite ready to take on that assignment. And then on the other end with male colleagues, they could say they only get fixated on his potential, but if his potential wasn't reached in that said position, they go, maybe we should have put him on a different assignment. 
you know, there was probably some other factors that were contributing to, you know, him not hitting the mark. So I think what's interesting is women, which I, which I adore, and I think it's a superpower. And I've experienced this in a thousand interviews that I've conducted. We're going to be more vulnerable and that's not a weakness. So showing vulnerability and compassion and everything else is actually a very powerful thing. If you're, if you start growing and get more comfortable and expressing it, because if you're vulnerable enough to say, that there is areas in your in your career or other points that you need to grow and nurture. You're willing to do the work. It means that you're more relatable. You are actually in the field. You're doing the work constantly. At times, I've seen on the other side, male colleagues will just be like, "Oh yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of glaze over that, but I've been doing it, or I won't do it." So I'm saying, women will self confess and say, "Oh, it's work that I need to do. I feel a little vulnerable in that space, but I'm willing to do the work." Thank you very much. Good point. Anything else anybody want to say on that? I, I just Lori. think all these, all these points are coming together and they're so important because there's these unintended consequences of being vulnerable because you're taking that extra step. You're doing that glue work. And Kylie, I love that. I've never heard that, but it's the yeah. things that happen under the covers that promote the team. And when you say, why is that team more successful? You can kind of break it down. But it's one of these things that we don't recognize as a corporate value. So you, know, you look mm-hmm. at, and there was a recent article by Forbes that said, you know, of the Fortune 100 companies, there's still only 9% that are CEOs, even though it's been proven that companies with diversity have higher profits, have higher retention, are outperforming their competitors, and yet we still don't know what that means. And so defining specifically and getting much more tangible results around what are the KPIs that we value, I think are going to be things that we need to take care for and really start to have a seat at the table and make sure that those are being considered. So rewriting the script, rewriting how we measure success. Debbie, you talked about the KPIs as well. I think these are all the things that are ahead of us to take care for. And I think there's, thank you all ladies. I've, I've seen an evolution in workplace values because I remember very clearly when I worked for a great big bank on Wall Street as a marketing director and I went above and beyond anything that was expected. I created a, a, a global newsletter, a newspaper. I did events for executives. I did stuff. I, it, it was unbelievable how I stretched and grew and learned to do all kinds of new things. And I was chastised because they didn't like the way I dressed because I didn't wear $1,000 suits to work. And I took the silk scarf instead of lining my jacket with it, Lisa, this way, I put it in my hair and tied it in a bow. And one day I showed up with sparkles on my jacket. There were a couple of rhinestones on my, on my and I always was there the first one on the floor. And I worked a long, hard day and it was a two hour commute each way. And I had a young daughter at home and they just told me, you need to learn to take dress for success classes because we don't like you. You don't fit in here. I never saw customers. I never saw clients. It was an office job marketing. But it was interesting that that's how they ganged up and decided I didn't fit, no matter how hard I worked. And it was the women who told me that. And they stuck my boss to take me behind the scenes and say, we're signing you up for a dress for success class. And he couldn't even keep his shirt tucked in. And he was always a slob. It didn't matter how he dressed, but he was a guy. Okay, let's leave that one there. So I've, I'm hoping the values have gotten a little more important since those days, because slings and arrows, I got to tell you, were not easy. Okay, let's move on. We have a couple minutes left. We have 13 minutes left. That's an age. That's an era in radio. So Lisa, I'm going to prediction number three. You've got another one of your captions here I love. You say the old glass ceiling becomes the new glass floor. I'm just going to stop there and let you unpack it. Lisa, go ahead. Uh, and it's it's perspective. It's how we think <clears throat> about things. It's how we set our vision for ourselves. And I go back to you know, we have the power to do this. When I think about 
the glass ceiling. Well, why is it a glass ceiling? Who created that ceiling? Why am I in this room with this ceiling? I'm, I'm going to flip the script and make it be the glass floor and the foundation that I look to grow from. So when I think about the glass ceiling, and this has come up before, one of the biggest challenges that I see with promoting women in technology is getting past that first rung, right? So many women leave the workforce because they didn't know how to get that first promotion, that first management position. And it's often either because they didn't have a mentor or they didn't see a path to a career, or they felt that they didn't have the full uh, requirements to meet the expectations of the job. And so we need to figure out a way how to jump that first rung. You know, we need to make sure that people are using their experiences, using their mentors, being advocates, but we need to make sure that we're helping women get that first career promotion in technology. And if that means um, advocating, if that means mentoring, I, I think this is some of the things that I'm looking at our own company at SAP and saying, what can we do better? How do we make mm -hmm. sure that people are not discounting or disqualifying people because maybe they don't have the exact criteria that we're looking for in that role, but they have other things. And this is where I go back to recalibrating what the requirements are, looking at is empathy and emotional intelligence an important factor in the tech industry, especially working on virtual teams where we need to make sure that we're bringing our best self to work today. That's not in a job description, but it should be. I think also um, how we evaluate talent and how we consider women for those first roles, because no one, you have to have a first time no one comes out and has all that experience. There's always going to be that first opportunity. So what are the criteria for success? And I think this is where we we look at it, we talk about it, but we, there's things that we can action to make sure. I think a lot of the job sharing roles before someone even thinks about going into a mentorship or a leadership role, can we put them in and do more things like fellowship, right? Or job shadowing mm -hmm. and actually yes. make that part of their career pathing. Um, often the career and succession planning is very rigid, right? Do you want to be a people manager? Do you want to be an individual contributor? Oh, if you want to be a people manager, here's the 13 things you need to do between now and the next five years. Instead of saying, in the next six months, here's what we can do. In the next six months after that, here's what we can do. And so it, it's just um, fundamentally a change. And I think, Laura, you said the people who wrote the job description may have never performed the job or it may have been written 15 years ago, or maybe they didn't even understand. They were just copying a template that they had for another job description and they changed a few words. And so you know, when I look for talent, when I'm hiring now, I, I've rewritten every one of our job descriptions to include those things. I also ask them, would you be willing to mentor? You're not ready today, but if this is an, you know, something that you aspire to do, would you be willing over the next six months to take on some additional responsibility and, and work side by side with someone who's in the role that you aspire to have so that we can help you transition and get there faster? So just new ways of thinking about changing from a ceiling, making it the floor and using a platform for growth. Thank you. Very, very poetic. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate that. Well, it is perspective, isn't it? Sometimes you have to flip it upside down, inside out, and take another look and say, what? I was taught years ago by uh, somebody who wasn't really a mentor. She was a, a hateful boss, but she taught me that if a sentence doesn't work, flip the second part, make it the first part, and invert the parts of the sentence, and think about if it makes sense the other way. And maybe that's what we need to do is look at a different perspective. And actually, it's a trick that very often worked very well. So let's move on. We have a few minutes left. Debbie Scott, let's take a brief look at your prediction number three. You say, I believe we will see more, quote, air quotes, women's networks emerging, 
for not only for women in tech, like womenintech.org with hyphens in between, but also others like Chief, which you're a member of. Chief is a private membership network focused on connecting and supporting women executive leaders. Debbie, briefly, go ahead. So, yeah, so I think I'll go back to um, what Kylie said the last time, you know, we all got together. You know, she said that she found herself where, you know, nobody like her was around. She was the only woman. She didn't see anybody like her. And so that's why she started, you know, the, the thing that she did. And, you know, I think that there's just a tremendous amount of strength that comes from, women who are like-minded, who have maybe the same struggles, who maybe have the same aspirations, um, you know, really kind of getting together to be able to share those. Now, I am a member of Chief, and I have my Chief pin right here, and I know Lori is as well. Um, and I've, you know, I only wish that something like that had existed earlier in my career, um, because I did find myself in a situation where there was really nobody, you know, like me, and, you know, we couldn't really find, a, you know, good female mentors and whatnot. But now, you know, that the meetings that we have, you know, and we are like-minded, we're sharing issues. I was fortunate enough to do a networking event in San Francisco with SAP last week, and it was a woman executive networking events. The bond was instantaneous. And, you know, by the time we got to the, the happy hour part of the program and everyone, it was like we were all just old friends, just sharing like old stories. And the commonality between some of the things that we talked about was, you know, it was, it was really, um, it was validating. It was comforting. So I think we're going to see more of those things popping up. I like the word comforting in there, too. I'm going to move on. I want one more prediction from Kylie, one from Lori. We're almost out of time. Kylie, prediction number one. You say, we've spent too long equipping women with skills and mentorship to navigate the workplace. We need to start learning how to identify the systems and patterns so we can challenge them. Kylie, briefly, two minutes. Go ahead. Yeah, it's not to say that mentorship, sponsorship is not important, but that is only one piece of the equation. And we need to be putting as much emphasis on the other side because real change will happen when there is a top-down approach from leadership and companies making institutional changes and a, a grassroots change from the bottom up. When those two things can meet, that's when we'll start to see some significant impact. I think a lot of what we've been seeing in the gender equity space, and Bonnie, you mentioned this, we still have 100 years to go, is that this is superficial change. So we need investment from both sides in order to move that dial. And the thing about, you know, patterns is that when we can see patterns, they could be physical ones, then you start to recognize social, cultural patterns. And then we start to see systems. And when we can see systems, we can learn how to navigate them, question them, and then we start to change them. So we need to be able to see the systems we are working in in order to change them. And as leaders, we have a responsibility to make that easier for the people who come behind us. Um, I will leave it at that. Very interesting. We, we see generational cohorts over the years, especially in this country, where people, parents wanted to make a better life for their children. So wouldn't it be nice if leaders could make an easier path for their next generation. Let me leave that generically there. I hope I didn't murder that one. Lori, let's look at prediction number two and let's finish with this and then we'll do some closing remarks. Two minutes, three minutes is fine. You say companies that offer more flexible work conditions and environments will attract and retain more diverse talent. So why don't you tie that to women in early tech? What What are they looking for, Lori? What'll make them happier? Yeah, so I think the good news, again, if there's a bright spot through what we went through as a world, the pandemic, is that all organizations overnight were forced to rethink 
right? Their organizations and everyone was stay at home and now we're back at work, et cetera. So all that being said is what I liked is it shook up the way that we look at where people need to be in order to be productive to do their roles. So when we look at early talent specifically, we have a lot of bright bright people that are coming through different programs, different universities. So I think if we're willing to open up the aperture and explore a little bit different ways and how we build that people or pipeline bench, because what I've discovered in some of our interactions is some of the the young talent with women actually had to go back home and they're working from their parents' house and they, because they can't afford to live in the specific territory or region that they ultimately absolutely have the skills and, and should be competing for some of those roles. But because of a geographic boundary, that they're not within the walls of a specific you know, dimension of what that role requires, they're not considered candidates. And I think it's a high disservice to any organization because I'm like, man, that's such an invisible fence where you look at, again, if we open up the aperture and we think about the different ways in which we might redefine how we're looking for talent, Go to different universities that you typically would never go to. Mm -hmm. Start looking at community programs that you've never invested in. Start looking at skills that may not be explicit on a paper, which is a resume, and really challenge and say, oh, look, they're, they're pouring their heart and soul into these other areas. And that's the attribute or the value that we want in our organization, which is much more important than just saying whether or not they're a cultural or regional fit because of where they live. Thank you very much. Thank you all. I'm, I'm thinking that on shows I've done in the past, some HR trends shows, we talked about there are five generations in the workforce right now, at least before the pandemic. There, there may be squeaking into five and a half or there might be four and a half now. I'm not sure. But think about how this impacts early women in tech. We talk about culture. We talk about uh, emotional intelligence. We talk about workplace conditions. Who is already there? who is available to mentor them or guide them or help them with their path or write their job description or welcome them on the first day of work or help them decide what's next for you. Who are the people? Are they accepted? Are we accepted when we go into a company? I'm talking about what I call the behemoths, the enterprises that are, you know, with layers and layers and layers. Who's actually there? Whose job is it to welcome an early woman in tech and say, now that you're hired, I'm here to help you find that way because we want you to stay, at least after the first six months or so when she's proven herself, when she wants to stay, let's put it that way. That's an interesting thing. Ladies, I don't know if I have any more dates this year, but we want to come back maybe early 2023 and revisit. I think there's so much to talk about here. I'm getting the sign from, from uh-huh. Andrew that we've got to. What do you think? Kylie, you want to come back? Lori, Lisa, yeah, Deb, Debbie? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is absolutely. a theme that needs to continue, and I'll find another slant for it. I'll find something, okay? So I have some shout-outs to do. I've got one minute, my goodness. And stay around for pictures, ladies. I didn't do it before. So, of course, to Lisa, to Debbie, to Kylie, to Lori, I am continuing to be impressed with how articulate you are, how passionate you are, how insightful you are, and how much I learn from all of you every time we meet. So I say thank you with deep gratitude from my heart to you. I want to thank you. Thank Andrew, our engineer at Voice America behind the scenes. I want to thank who we got there. Kelsey Pfeffer is with us. She's in the background. Thank you for joining us today, Kelsey. And our chief cheerleader, cheerleader in chief, the one and only Patrick Maroney, who never stops promoting my programs. (laughs) Patrick, you just rocked always. I appreciate always seeing that. Uh, Shout out to Jules uh, Waxman and a shout out to Mara Mofel. And I want to say thank you to everyone in our audience for listening, for watching. Hope you got a couple of good insights on what's really happening in the world. 
and what we can all do to make it a better one. So ladies, on the count of three, you're going to join me with no, no, no. Is the future already here? People say the future is already here right now. One, two, three. No, 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 no. 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 Good, you rehearsed this. That was yesterday's future. Today's future isn't here yet, and we're going to make it a better one. Bonnie D signing off. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.